Ladies and gentlemen, kicking off the first stop on his world tour, our new president and prophet, Russell M. Nelson. You say you want some revelation. Well, here you go. It's gonna blow your freaking mind. Hey, welcome back, everybody, to the weekly Mormon News Roundup, where Al and D-Vays ruminate on the great and spacious beehive. This week, we've got a, we've got a lot packed in here this week. We're going to start off by uh, showing you how the United States, and specifically D-Vays, is still reeling from the overturning of Roe versus Wade. And D-Vays, uh, speaking of D-Vays, is going to continue where he left off last week with an advanced analysis regarding this case's impact on LDS eschatology. Uh, I'm going to analyze Hulu's miniseries, That Mormon No More, Episode 2. It's a little bit more uh, interesting to me than Episode 1 was. We're also going to review the latest Rolling Stones article, which claims that Mormons are starting to lead the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints in favor of magic mushrooms. So we've got a really awesome show this week. How are you doing, Dives? Hey, I'm doing better than I deserve. It's July 3rd, 2022, and this is episode 14. So I'm looking forward to this podcast more than any other podcast, probably except for our pilot. We've got some really good uh, listener feedback on our last podcast. So for our listeners out there, if you haven't caught uh, episode uh, 13, go back. I strongly suggest that you listen to it because it lays the uh, groundwork for today's podcast. Now, our number one competitor out there, Al, for when it comes to Mormon news, aside from the uh, the church's official source, is called This Week in Mormonism. Oh, excuse me. This week in Mormons, and I listened to their last ep- uh, their last episode. And let me tell you, Al, there was ten minutes of chit chat before we encountered even one news article. Oh my! <laughs> I, mean, uh, I mean, they're chatting about what's going on in their families and things like that. That's not really um, what I'm what I'm looking for. Um, I looked on there. They're also on Twitter. I looked on their uh, tweets, and and this week uh, they tweeted out uh, a poll for their listeners, and the question was, "Do you take off your garments when you go to visit the doctor?" And 60% of the people said yes, and 30%, 40% said no. That's honestly, Al, that is not really the type of thing that really um, captivates me. Maybe, uh, maybe I concentrate on the wrong things. Oh, I, I'm sorry. What, what, we, that was, uh, were we talking about garments? Um, I, I, I dozed off a little bit there. Yeah, that's, I'm that's sorry. A, yeah, we're not trying to give anybody uh, some sleeping material here. We're, go, we're going to give you the exciting stuff that's going to keep you on the edge of your seat. However, Al, they are kicking our butts on listenership, so why is it that we're losing to them? Um, I think that uh, they've got a, a lot more people that um, would f- prefer to hear the, uh, the echo chamber of uh, you know, true-believing uh, Mormonism. Um, and I, I think here we provide some more uh, some meaty topics. You're not, not necessarily going to agree with every opinion that uh, is expressed on this podcast, uh, both for and against the church. But that's what this whole podcast is uh, set up for. It's uh, to be a meeting place where um, anybody on the spectrum from a true believing apostle uh, all the way to a seething, uh, axe grinding ex-Mormon can get together and talk about the, uh, the news topics that are currently going on around Mormondom. Yeah, so uh, I'll issue a challenge out to This Week in Mormons. Come on our podcast. We'd love to ruminate with you on the great and spacious beehive. One thing that they do very well, Al, is that they do have guest hosts. And this entire month, uh, their podcast is being done by guest hosts so that the regular hosts can uh, take a vacation. And that's uh, something that I think we can learn from. So we're we're putting out the clarion call out there for any guest hosts who want to be a part of the program or even take over for us for a week. Um, We'd be happy to have you. Just come on over to our website, which is Mormon News Roundup. 
uh, which is uh, www.mormonnewsroundup.org, or send us an email to kolob at mormonnewsroundup.org. That's K-O-L-O-B at mormonnewsroundup.org with two N's, Mormon News. Okay, so some follow-ups, Al, from last week. We talked about the Yorba Linda, California uh, temple dedication, right? Yes, we did. And we, we talked about how Elder Bragg said that it was a manifestation of the growth of the kingdom of God on earth. And that's the reason that that temple was being opened, right? Yeah. And we, we uh, were a, a bit skeptical about that claim. Is that correct? Uh, well, we, we were a bit skeptical about how he was defining growth. <laughs> ah, okay, very well. Yes. Now, I wanted the reason I wanted to follow up is because Orange County, I went back and looked it up. It has 3.5 million people. I said that it was uh, 7 to 10 million, so I misspoke there for correcting the record. Now, uh, the by the way, part. yeah, I, I guess so. Um, in our show title, we talked about uh, Roe versus Wade in eschatology. Al, wh- what is eschatology anyway? Eschatology was a new word for me, I'll tell you that. Um, it, uh, it's defined here as the part of theology concerned with death, or sorry, death, judgment, and the final destiny of the soul and of humankind. So basically, what happens to the soul after you die? That's what eschatology is. Right. And I think that Roe versus Wade has uh, us and all abortion laws across the entire world have a significant impact on eschatology, which we will discuss in a moment. We're going to continue our deep dive from last week into the celestial celestial ramifications of this law. You definitely don't want to miss it. So U.S. abortion laws, Al, they're in a real state of turmoil because everything's kicked back to the state level. So state legislatures are passing laws every single day. Judges are striking down these laws. It's, it's total chaos. Cats and dogs living together. Mass hysteria. Mass hysteria. Excellent quote from Ghostbusters. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, now, I saw a funny tweet that came out this week about uh, Roe versus Wade. It's hard to make a joke about such a serious topic, but it's from the Cultural Hall. Uh, and this is at cultural underscore hall. And he does a lot of Mormon parody tweets, which I think are just hilarious. And he tweeted out on uh, June 26, 2022. He said, quote, following the news from the Supreme Court, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints announces that membership now begins at conception instantly adding 90,000 members to the rolls. And baby blessings and namings will now occur in utero following a positive pregnancy test. So <laughs> do, do they pick up the whole mom or do they just place their hands on her belly? That's why I like. uh, He also tweeted out a picture uh, that the mom then would be held in the middle with about 10 guys around and the, 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 the hands on the stomach. You think this is a, <laughs> this is a good idea, Al? Uh, it's going to be kind of creepy. <laughs> but... <laughs> Hey, it's uh, coming from the cultural halls, so that's all good and fun. <laughs> yeah, he's, uh, he's got a lot of funny stuff out there. Very good. Now, last week, we covered the wording change regarding abortion policy on the church's official website. And this week, we are going to update that. Greg actually said he wondered um, – we had Greg from Quick Media on the program. He said he wondered if the wording of abortion uh, policy would be uh, changed in the church's handbook. Out, what is the church's handbook? So the church's uh, general handbook of instructions is pretty much what every church leader has from bishops all the way up uh, you know, to the 70s and their authorities to give them guidance on any topic that's uh, going on in the, in the world around them. So, you know, this is basically their manual on how to approach anything from abortion to uh, xenophobia or whatever. Yeah. Yes. Now, do you have the, uh, can you follow that link? Do you have that link pulled up that shows the wording change on abortion? Okay. Can you please read us what the uh, old, before this ruling came down on June 19th, we have the verbiage from the old handbook, and then we're going to um, read out what the new handbook says. Can you read those uh, two quotes to us? Okay. So let's see. Snapshot from June 19th. Abortion. Uh-huh. Abortion is a most serious matter and should be considered only after the persons involved have consulted with their local church leaders and feel through personal prayer 
that their decision is correct. So that leaves it pretty open. Um, to this, uh, it's been changed. It should be considered only after the persons responsible have received confirmation through prayer. Members may counsel with their bishops as part of this process. Okay, they, now, those, yeah, are the two, those are the two quotes. What is the difference in between the change in policy here, Al? Um, the, I see that they've changed it from church, local church leaders to bishops specifically. So I guess maybe stake presidents don't need to be bothered with this sort of thing. Um, well, I see it a little bit different. I think that that bishop versus local church leaders is, is, uh, more incidental. The previous one said that you should only do an abortion after talking with your bishop. The new one says, if you pray about it and feel good, you're good to go. And if you want to talk to your bishop about it, go ahead. So it went from it should be required to talk to your bishop first to you only need to involve your bishop if you feel like it. Yeah, that's uh, wow. That they went even uh, more lax with it then. They yeah. loosened the reins. Yes, yeah, so that's that's usually not the direction that we uh, usually see uh, uh, yeah. bishops going in. <laughs> yeah, exactly. A any idea about why they would make this change to make to uh, you know make the bishops a little bit out of the loop? Well, um, boy, that. Uh... I'm not sure. I, I don't I'm know. I'm guessing. Yeah, I mean, th this is something from the church has uh, traditionally been extremely right wing, and I, w I would think that a lot of uh, church members were the types that were rejoicing over the overturning of Roe versus Wade. But as far as the church itself goes with its policies, they've decided to really just kind of lighten up. Yeah, they have. So uh, they're making abortion more of a personal matter. That is something that is between you and God. You get a confirmation on it. And if you feel like involving your local leaders, go ahead. But it is not required anymore. Yeah, that's, uh, you know, it, when when we say we're loosening up, it's just that much. I mean, it's just a real slight change. But it is a slight change that goes a little bit more away from conservative, uh, maybe over toward liberal. Yes, and we're going to talk about that in a little bit, a little bit later. How the church's stance um, now is a little bit uh, is a little bit more liberal than some of the other Republican stances out there. We're going to get into that here in a minute. Yeah. So um, we talked last week about how Roe versus Wade, ha how it's overturning, has an impact on the celestial kingdom. And I got some listener feedback, and I need to clarify and improve what we talked about last week because um, I don't think my numbers were as complete as they could. So let's talk about this more on the United States numbers. So first of all, prior to Roe versus Wade, there are 600,000 U.S. abortions per year. That's per the CDC. That number is going to be cut in half approximately because of the overturning of Roe versus Wade. Now, what I neglected to mention last week is that there's also 600,000 miscarriages in the United States every year. Okay, so That's we also right. have about 25,000 stillborn and about 10,000 people die before the age of eight. But also what I neglected to mention from last week is that according to the National Institutes of Mental Health, in 2020, there's an estimated 14 million adults age 18 or over in the United States with serious mental illness. We're talking about Down syndrome. We're talking about criminally insane, psychopaths, people who can't tell the difference between right and wrong. That yeah, people with diminished, uh, what do they call it, diminished responsibility or something like that, capacity for, yeah. I'm not familiar with the technical term, but according to this we this website, they call it SMI, serious mental, uh, what are they, I'm sorry, serious mental serious illness. Serious mental illness, yeah. <laughs> so 5% of you uh, of the U.S. Uh, adult population is seriously mentally ill. They can't, they don't know right from wrong, and uh, they're not really responsible for their own actions. Yeah. So um, about, about 2,000 of those people die uh, every year, give or take. So yeah. let's review our numbers. According to these statistics, and remember, all of those people that I just mentioned, 
Abortions, mm-hmm. miscarriages, stillborns die before the age of eight and seriously mentally in, uh, incapacitated, uh, seriously mm-hmm. mentally ill. They all yeah. go straight to the celestial kingdom when they die. Yeah. Now, so that's 1.3 million. And even after that's every year, the United States sends 1.3 million people straight to the celestial kingdom. Automatic. Mm-hmm. You're good to go. Yeah. Do not pass go. Do not collect $200. You're in. You're, you're, part, of the, you're part of the <laughs> <laughs> You're part of the club. Now, even Mm -hmm. after Roe, that number is still going to be a million. Mm -hmm. That's right. And this is in big contrast to the number of LDS Temple recommend holders dying annually, which we went over last week. My numbers Mm -hmm. were good there. It's about 2,000 Latter-day Saint, uh, U.S. Latter-day Saint Temple recommend holders dying annually and going Mm -hmm. to the Celestial Kingdom. So go back and listen to our uh, last podcast about that. Yeah, now, you, re- you really do need to listen to the last podcast uh, before this episode because, yeah, the, uh, first of all, uh, Greg was a heck of a nice guy to talk to. Sure. We really appreciate him coming on. And this will this will all make sense, a lot more a more clear sense after you listen to that first. Yes, he gave us some good feedback, and the listeners also gave us some good feedback. So even mm-hmm. after the Roe versus Wade overturn, there's still about a million folks in the USA who automatically go to, the he- uh, go to heaven every year. This is a huge disparity between the automatics and... And all the rest of us, it's a million versus 2,000. I mean, yeah. like a, what is that, a 5,000 to 1 ratio? Yeah, exactly. It's it's huge. <laughs> it's a big difference. So now let's also extrapolate that through history, not just the United States right now, but let's talk about through the Earth's history. How many people in Earth's total history will go to the celestial kingdom? Now, mortality in times past, uh, about half of uh, everyone who lived on this planet, according to ourworldanddata.org, about half of them de- uh, died as a child, defined as dying before the age of 15. Half. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's very hard for us to imagine in our modern day and age. We, we have clean water, indoor plumbing, vaccines, access to medical care. But uh, life was extremely treacherous a thousand years ago. Oh, it was fragile. I mean, shoot, you, you uh, looked at something the wrong way and you could die. I mean, yeah, that over the course of human history, uh, death has been very, very common. And it's only in the last oh, 100, 100 plus years or so that we've... Uh, really seen the boom in uh, longevity yes now i wasn't able to get data about how many people in earth's history have died before the age of eight because that's a very arbitrary number and that's really not how these health professionals track it but we can extrapolate and estimate about that about a third of the people who have ever lived on planet earth died before the age of eight about a yeah. third mm-hmm. i mean Al, what what was life expectancy thirty thousand years ago yeah well honestly i think it was late teens yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was it was really low. Yeah, it was maybe yeah. 15, 20 at the most. Yeah, exactly. I mean, there were no grandparents back then. I mean, mm-hmm. you were lucky to even have a baby. Mm-hmm. So that's, uh, again, there's been 120 billion humans on Earth. Uh, mm-hmm. 40 billion of them died before the age of accountability. So that's 40 people straight to the celestial kingdom. Okay. Now, yeah. let's also talk about, according to uh, human, I would look this up, according to Human Reproduction, Volume 34, Issue 11, in November 2019, mm-hmm. this is all on our show notes, about 30% of all uh, pregnancies throughout all time, 30% mm-hmm. uh, ended in a miscarriage. Yeah. Okay. So again, 120 billion humans on earth with 30% of all of those pregnancies, uh, we didn't get to see that 60 billion miscarriages in earth's history. It's huge. Well, and we, we, we kind of, we still have miscarriages all over the place today. It still happens, sure. but uh, thanks to a lot of our modern medicine, we're able to, keep the babies viable um, a lot longer. And, you know, sometimes we can even prevent uh, miscarriage if they catch it soon enough. Um, Depends on what's causing it. Yeah, it was certainly higher in times past. No doubt about that. Certainly. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. Okay, so let's wrap up our final numbers. This is a revision from last week. So 120 billion humans have been on Earth, but a third of all pregnancies ended in a miscarriage or abortion. So that's another 60 billion that we never got to see. So that's mm-hmm. 180 billion humans that were sent down here to try to live a life, but only 120 of them billion were actually born, right? Wow, yeah. Mm-hmm. So the abortion rate today is as high as it's ever been. I mean, 25,000 years ago, humans really didn't weren't very effective in committing abortions, right? Yeah, and, exactly. Okay, so 180 billion souls who came here to Earth, but remember, according to the plan of salvation of the Book of Abraham, uh, a third of people they didn't even come to Earth, right? Yeah. Who exactly. were those people? Who who oh, were those people? These are these are the ones who said, "Well, let you know, Satan's plan is to save everybody. Let's go with him." Right. Okay, so we have 120 billion who came to Earth, but we had 60 billion who were uh, aborted or were miscarried. And then we have another 90 billion who are currently uh, they're going to go to outer darkness because they chose Satan's plan. So that gives this total pre-mortal population of this planet at 270 billion as of today. That's a little bit of a revision from last week, but I think these numbers are solid. So 270 billion is God's total creation thus far. 90 billion will go to outer darkness. 180 billion came to Earth. Only 120 billion were actually born. 60 billion were miscarried. And 40 billion uh, died before the age of eight. About 7 billion are mentally handicapped. And 1 billion were stillborn. Okay, mm-hmm. so let's give the wrap up here. 270 yeah. billion pre-mortal souls. 108 billion of those are automatically going to heaven. 90 billion of them are automatically going to hell. So that only leaves the last 72 billion who actually go through an actual test that counts on this earth. That's only That's like 25%. Right. 25% mm-hmm. actually go through a test that actually matters. Yeah. And, and this is all according to the plan, right? But absolutely. This is, the best, <laughs> this is the best design plan that has been mm-hmm. put forward in history. Yeah. So, wow. Th- this is, those are some pretty astounding numbers. I mean, really, one in four souls that were created um, in the pre-mortal existence um, will actually have to take the test instead of just uh, getting a a freebie on it. Right. Who will take a test that actually matters. Mm -hmm. I suppose that a seven-year-old kid, he's he's taking a test, but the test does not matter. Yeah. If he dies when he's seven, that that, that test doesn't count. Mm -hmm. Now, Al, Al, what is the, according to LDS theology, what is the main purpose of coming here to earth? I believe it was to gain a body and to be tested, right? Yeah, but only 120 billion of the 270 billion actually got a body. Mm-hmm. And out of those remainder um, of the 120 billion, I remember a third of them died before the age of eight. So, I mean, just the amount of people, I thought the purpose was to get a body and come to Earth. Well, hardly anybody actually got a body. And those who came to Earth, so many of them uh, fall into the other categories that... Uh, it's just a little bit – this is just a little bit strange. Yeah, it is. <laughs> I mean – now, remember, none of these numbers include the Neanderthals or the Denisovans or any of our other cousins. Remember, we share 99.9% of DNA with them, and we could still breed with them just a few thousand years ago. That's um, true. I, You know, most people who take a DNA test are like 4% Neanderthal and 1% Denisovans. Now, people who live in like aboriginals in Australia are higher percent Denisovans because that's where mm-hmm. the Denisovans hang out. And if you're from Europe, you have yeah. more percent Neanderthal. But sure. I mean, if humans arose on this planet 250,000 years ago. And for the sake of these numbers, we will assume that all of our cousins don't have souls, mm-hmm. even though they're really similar to us in brain capacity, DNA and everything. Yeah. We're not even going to include them because the number could be much higher if we, if we did. 
Yeah, that that raises a really interesting uh, point because you know at what percentage of uh, your DNA makeup being Neanderthal or Denisovan do you uh, become one of those? Uh, do you come? Do you become non-human and not uh, Homo sapien that's actually being tested? That's an interesting question because I read that the highest percent of Denisovans are uh, Australian Aborigines, and some of them mm-hmm. are up to seventeen percent Denisovan. Wow, that's amazing. I mean, because we remember, we could still interbreed with Neanderthals. They went extinct mm-hmm. 30,000 years ago. We could still interbreed with them, and we could still yeah. interbreed with Denisovans up to 15,000 years ago. And there's also another small tribe in, like, Papua New Guinea that mm-hmm. lasted until about 10,000 years ago. But, yeah, yeah. I mean, we're not going to include all them because apparently they don't have souls. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I mean, well, let's just exclude them for the sake of this argument. Yeah. Now, I do want to attribute some of these arguments. They were brought up by John Larson, a Mormon expression. If you've never checked out his podcast – um. He's really the grandfather of uh, some of these ideas. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, but let's let's take it one step further. I know we're going a lot of steps here. This is like <laughs> Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, where he has to continue to take the steps. The only the only yep. the leap from the lions, only the leap from the lions den. Lions mouth, yeah. Mm-hmm. Can you prove your worth? Mm-hmm. So, okay, Al, let's talk about worldwide now. We looked at all of history. Only twenty five percent of the people who are in God's creation will actually take a real test. Let's talk about how many people do you think. Are going to heaven automatically today per year? This is just ballpark. Oh my goodness! Just guess. Remember, there's seven. How many people do you think now on Earth now? Because we have be- people are living longer. Yeah. They're not dying before the age of eight. We don't have as many stillborns. We don't have as many miscarriages. So, how many people do you think are going to heaven every single year automatically today? Uh, boy, let's see. Um, <laughs> we have. Let's see. I think the tur- I think the turnaround rate is about two percent per year of uh you know deaths to births and um replacement we we should be just north of seven billion people on the on the planet so um let's see i'd say what, 140 million uh that's a, that's a pretty decent guess here let's go over these numbers um because we, we discussed how many people are going to the celestial kingdom in the times past now it's still gonna it's still getting packed every day yeah seven seven point seven billion humans on earth about 140 yeah. million humans are born per year Mm-hmm. That means we have about 35 million miscarriages. And according to the World Health Organization, we have 50 million abortions every year. And uh, there's about 2 million stillborn. And then there's about 400 million severely mentally handicapped individuals on Earth. Mm-hmm. About 500,000 of them die annually. So wow. And about 10 million children die before the age of eight. If you add up all of those categories okay, that we just went over, and those are all pretty well documented from CDC to World Health Organization, to just basic math, 100 million people every single year in 2022 are going to the Celestial Kingdom annually. Wow. That's got to be a big freaking kingdom. (laughs) Kolob has got to be a big place, Al. I'll say. (laughs) Yeah, it's got to be a big place. Um, Okay, so this is in contrast. Okay, so 100 million people are automatic. You're just, you just stamp your passport. Thank you for playing. You're good to go. Thanks. Thanks for being. Thanks for. Uh, thanks for playing. Now let's contrast that to the number of celestial kingdom worthy temple recommend holding Mormons who are passing mm-hmm. on annually. Okay. Okay. So these are, would be the people that are taking the test and actually passing it. Yes. Yes. Okay. So the global figures: there's 17 million or so Latter Day Saints. Let's say, for the sake of argument, that seven million of them are active. It's probably less, but let's just aim high. Mm-hmm. Five million of those have temple recommends. Okay. So according to the death rate, which is about one out of a thousand, it's actually a little mm-hmm. bit more, but let's just be very conservative. There's 5,000 yeah. temple recommend holding Mormons who die annually. Okay. And for the sake of argument, let's say that 90% of them go to heaven. 
that gives us a figure of about 4,500 annually throughout the whole world of okay. uh, Temple Recommend going Mormons mm -hmm. who die. Okay. So that's 100 million mm -hmm. for the automatics versus 4,500 for Latter-day Saints. That's, uh, that, that, that's quite a, a stark contrast, I'd say. Yeah, I mean, we don't know where most of the adults who died yesterday, just take yesterday, for instance, all over the globe are going to end up. But is it safe to say that the vast majority of them will go to the Telestial Kingdom? Is that a safe assumption? Uh, let's let's assume so, uh, mostly because we'll, we'll just assume that there was some sort of uh, vice or sin that uh, people, the vast majority of them had. So they, they loved uh, to sin, and therefore they end up in the Telestial Kingdom, right? Even if they were very righteous, though, Al, without the atonement mm -hmm. of Jesus Christ, they're not going anywhere, right? Yeah. So I, I really think that the the highest or the, the smallest kingdom so far that we're looking at is the terrestrial kingdom. Yes. Yeah. Without question, mm -hmm. the terrestrial kingdom is going to be, um, you know, you're going to have a small. lot of, it's <laughs> going to be small proportionally. So yeah. every single day uh, right now in 2022, there's about 25, uh, about a quarter million automatic celestial kingdom deaths on earth. And mm -hmm. only about 125 good Mormons are going to go to the celestial kingdom. So that's a wow. 2000 to one ratio. Yeah. That's amazing. So, I mean, what, what we've come up with is the vast majority of the people who will be in the celestial kingdom are mm -hmm. miscarriages, abortions, stillborn, mentally handicapped individuals, or people who did who died before the age of eight. Yeah. It's a mathematical certainty. Yeah, just for sure. Mm -hmm. now, now, Al, what, what was Satan's plan for us in, in pre-mortality? What, what was his plan? Uh, his, was, his idea was to make sure that everybody... Um, made it to the highest degree of the celestial kingdom by removing agency or removing accountability. Just like, Hey, let's save everybody. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, but this, this plan that we've, that, that I've thought about and that we've outlined here, there are so many people who are automatically in certain categories anyway, that it seems like agency is only a few people are really exercising mm -hmm. agency today. Exactly. So, I mean, the difference between our heavenly father's plan and Satan's plan was just like, oh, well, you know, it seemed like Emily Father's plan. It's like, well, we got to have some losers, right? <laughs> I guess so. Uh, you know, I, if I, I don't know, if, if, if Al, if I, I know that if you look at the Gospel Topics essays and it talks about Mormons and getting their own planet, and I know mm -hmm. that's not in vogue anymore according to the Gospel Topics essays, yeah. but mm -hmm. I prefer to think of it that if I, if we do go to the great beyond, I would prefer to get my own planet. But remember, as soon as we create my planet, I know that I'm going to be sending at least 90 billion people to outer darkness to suffer mm -hmm. for eternity. Yeah. It's a big right chunk of people. Bat, yeah. That's mm -hmm. a, I mean, that's a lot of people. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, just right off the bat, because this earth, as uh, we know, this is a very typical earth. Yeah. So um, I, all I can say is Satan's plan was in favor of automatic saving and no free agency. But the plan of salvation that we've outlined here, it has mm -hmm. a very high percentage of people who don't have agency anyway. True. I mean, yeah. So, you know, let's just uh, let's keep let's continue on. But mm -hmm. according to LDS doctrine, Al, who are the vo most valiant pre-mortal souls? Um, well, according to Brad Wilcox, uh, his quote from the 90s. Um, that it was going to be this generation that lived uh, in the latter days, right? That the, the, our Heavenly Father. In fact, several prophets have said it uh, throughout the, the, I think even David O. McKay uh, going all the way to the current is like, oh, this is the chosen generation that needs to be prepared to 
welcoming the second coming. So this is the most valiant. This is the, the, the further forward we move in time, the, the more valiant the souls are that are coming down. Okay. Okay. That's, I think I've heard the same thing. I've also heard uh, that mentally handicapped people are the most valiant. Have you heard that? Yes. Okay. So that's the other thing is uh, that there is that, uh, it says, well, there's some souls that were so valiant in the pre-existence that um, in order to protect them from the buffetings of Satan, the Lord sent them to earth in a, a handicapped body, especially a, a mentally handicapped so that they're, um, yeah, so that their responsibility would be diminished and they wouldn't have to uh, pass the test since they were so valiant, they already passed the test in the pre-existence. Speaking of the buffetings of Satan, remember those 90 billion souls are here on earth right now who are cast out of the pre-mortal life and chose Satan's plan. Those mm -hmm. are the demons that surround us, and yep. there's 90 billion of them. There's only like 7 billion people on earth, so there, that's a lot of demons, Al. Oh, yeah. Uh, that, that's plenty to go around. I mean, <laughs> no North of 10 demons per person. <laughs> yeah, it sure is. And yeah. one, would, one would imagine that if you were a demon, that you would concentrate most of your efforts on Latter-day Saints, right? Yeah, exactly. I mean, because these are, these are the ones, right? Yeah, so the ratio of, uh, you know, how many demons then would be on President Nelson, you know, th there could be a whole mm -hmm. lot of them. I mean, these oh, for demons, sure. they, d they don't need to be hanging out with, uh, you know, these T-lustral, uh, the T-lustral folks. They would be concentrating on Latter-day Saints in particular. Yeah, and so far everything here aligns perfectly with LDS teachings. I mean, this is the sort of stuff that we would hear in a gospel doctrine class in a uh, in a church in, on Sunday. Let's do a thought experiment Al, along these lines of who is the most valiant in the premortal existence. So let's okay. line. Remember, there's 270 billion premortal souls. This is mm -hmm. beyond question. We know this. Yeah. Uh, let's line them all up and rank order them from the most valiant. That's like mm -hmm. Jesus at the head, okay. and then, jo then Joseph Smith, Naturally. And, then, and, and then Tucker Carlson. No, okay. Not, okay. Uh, not, <laughs> you know, okay. For a second there, I was going to be on board with you. Okay. Okay. <laughs> okay. Scratch out. Scratch out. Okay. Scratch out. He said Tucker so. Carlson. Yeah. Okay. I'm gonna, okay. To the least valiant. And that would okay. be like uh, Rudy Giuliani, Kane, and then Lucifer, right? You know, okay, yeah. That, that's a pretty good uh, yeah assessment. Okay, you can agree with that. Oh, okay. yeah, certainly. Rudy, Rudy Giuliani, he just couldn't pull off the the same tricks that President Trump could. Okay, okay, I made sure that they were both Republicans, so no one mm -hmm. can accuse me of a liberal bias. But okay, they're all in line here. <laughs> Two hundred and seventy billion people. They're all lined up in the pre mortality because that was our first mm -hmm. estate, right? Exactly. Yeah. Okay, and from the most righteous to the least <laughs> righteous, they're all lined up. Now, yeah. where do you think that um, you would fall in this line? Or, or anyone who lives today in particular would fall in this line. I, I just um, have a tough question. Yeah, that, that is a tough question. Somewhere between, I mean, if we, if we put Jesus at 100 and uh -huh. uh, Lucifer at zero, and then put Joseph Smith, 99, uh, Tucker Carlson, 98, um, <laughs> <laughs> then Rudy Giuliani, I guess he would be number two. Okay. Um, and Kane would be number one. Okay, so I, I would figure that uh, you're probably somewhere in the 70s range, and I'm probably somewhere in the 50s. Okay, okay. okay. Well, I, the, I, and the reason I want to do this thought experiment is is because I believe that the most valiant people, if mm -hmm. the plan of salvation is fair, okay. the most valiant people must, in my opinion, must be the miscarriages. Yeah. Why, why do you think that, you know, I, I'm – if you, I'm not trying to have you read my mind, but why would 
Okay. What would be the argument for saying that miscarriages would be the most valuable and be very high up on the list, even ahead of people like LDS prophets or Mother Teresa or or anyone else? Why would miscarriages be <clears throat> very close to the top? Sure, um, I'll I'll go along with you for the sake of this debate. Um, so miscarriages are very nat those are a natural way of getting a soul down to a body, and then uh, and then having that body. Um, like uh, perish so that the soul is then freed after gaining the body to go to its uh, eternal glory. Right. Right. Yes, absolutely. Mm -hmm. So they, they, they must have been very valiant because they, some of them would only needed to have a body just for a few seconds, the sperm uh, fertilized mm -hmm. an embryo. And yeah. then just even a few seconds later, the soul entered that because the soul starts at conception. Yep. A few seconds later, it miscarried something happened in the body and they went straight to the celestial kingdom. If they're not the most valiant, I don't know who is because they only needed mm -hmm. to be on Earth for a few seconds. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So I, I, that's why I'm saying and that that would be then followed by abortions, because usually, mm -hmm. you know, it, you can't make an abortion until I don't know. It's something like, well, I mean, there's morning after pills and things like mm -hmm. that, I guess. But yeah, but we, we would uh, let's see, even if if we would for the for those uh, on the abortion is murder spectrum. Let's uh, say that, uh, you know, this is shedding of the most innocent of blood. So uh, the church has taught that the, those who die because their blood was shed and it was innocent go directly to the highest degree of celestial kingdom. So, okay, so yeah. again, from our mm -hmm. thought experiment of 270 billion people lined up, most valued mm -hmm. is miscarriages, followed immediately by abortions, followed immediately by stillborns, yeah. followed by childhood deaths, ranked mm -hmm. by how long you were alive, True. followed by the mentally handicapped, Mm-hmm. Followed by everyone else who really came here to Earth, and then mm -hmm. followed by the sons of perdition. Yeah, would that this be the rank order? Absolutely. This is according to the doctrine of the good die young. Yes. So if you put if you put all those people lined up, actually, you and I, Al, we would be somewhere uh, definitely in the middle-ish, say a little bit towards the bottom, because there's so many people who are automatic celestial kingdom goers. <laughs> uh -huh. We would be. We would be middle-ish bottom it, you know, we would be, yeah. you know, in the, like the 30 percentile towards the True. bottom. Yeah. So, yeah, uh, I guess David O. McKay's not here to tell us, but, but you're white. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we're, we're, we're the fence sitters. <laughs> well, apparently we are the fence sitters because mm -hmm. if we had been more valiant, we would have been aborted. Mm -hmm. Or Absolutely. we would have been stillborn. For sure. Those, or mentally handicapped. Those people mm -hmm. must be more valiant because they didn't need to go through the test. They must have done such a good job on the pre-mortal life mm -hmm. that they didn't need this earthly test. Uh, have we just completely flipped the uh, entire reasoning behind Mormon theology on its head? Well, this is all if we assume that the plan of salvation is fair and that God is just. That's true. Now, you, we can say, well, God's thought ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts, and we have a limited understanding. And maybe the plan of salvation is not fair at all, and everything that I've said here is wrong because God is not just. But if God is not just, uh, doesn't he cease to be God? Yeah, that's uh, that's the question, isn't it? Yeah. Um, so I, I really think that um, far from what everyone in the church teaches that, hey, we're in the latter days and you're the most faithful— I really don't think that that is the case. I think that there's a lot of people who are more faithful um, who are already in, in, in paradise as we speak. Yeah. In fact, actually, I just thought about this. The most faithful of all would be the very first people after Adam and Eve gave birth. Mm -hmm. Those very few miscarriages, yeah. those 
those must be the absolute goats of valiancy because they didn't have to wait in pre-mortal land for getting a, a, a birth. They got to go here, boom, and now they're in spirit paradise. Well, some parents have their favorite children. <laughs> yeah. So, the, you know, because some people who haven't been born yet, they're still waiting in the pre-mortal existence, which is not paradise. I mean, right. Saturday, Saturday's warrior kind of <laughs> tells us what it looks like, but that's just folklore. Yeah, we exactly. can also we could also rank order that uh, the human line according to how fast they came and then how fast they went up to uh, heaven. Um, yeah. you, that's a, just a thought that I thought of. And I do want to talk about how what Joseph Smith said about this particular uh, topic. Mm -hmm. And you think, well, Joseph Smith didn't mention abortions and he didn't mention um, a stillborn city. Well, mm -hmm. actually, he sort of did. Uh, on April uh, 7th, 1844, Joseph Smith rose to mm -hmm. speak at what would prove to be his last conference and became known as the King Follett Discourse, which was at a funeral for a man named King Follett who mm -hmm. fell, who died when he fell down a well. Oh. Okay, now, there was four, uh, four uh, note takers at this particular sermon, Al, and mm -hmm. only one out of the four got this quote, but it is mm -hmm. in the Wikipedia entry. Um, can you read? And this kind of talks about yeah. what's going to happen with all of these uh, children and infants and, uh, and things in the eternities. Uh, will you read the quote here that we have from that? Absolutely. A question may be asked. Will mothers have their children in eternity? Yes. Yes. Mothers, you shall have your children, for they shall have eternal life. For their debt is paid. There is no damnation awaits them, for they are in the spirit. But as the child dies, so shall it rise from the dead and be forever living in the learning of God. It will never grow. It will still be the child in the same precise form as it appeared before it died out of its mother's arms. But possessing all the intelligence of a God, children dwell in the mansions of glory and exercise power, but appear in the same form as when on earth. Eternity is full of thrones upon which dwell thousands of children reigning on thrones of glory, with not one cubit added to their stature. Okay, now this uh, particular uh, quote was edited out of the teachings of the prophet Joseph Smith, but what do you get, what is uh, Joseph Smith trying to tell us uh, here in this particular passage? Um, that, wow, there's, a, first of all, mothers are going to be able to raise their, their uh, children that they've lost, um, you know, tragically. And so that's a very uh, pleasant thought. Um, and gives a lot of people comfort and hope for the hereafter that they will be able to see their children again. Um, but then there's another thing where it goes a little bit crazy. He says it's full of thrones with like children sitting on these thrones and, you know, uh, of the different ages of which they died. I mean, you have some that died when they were four. You have some that died in arms. You had some that were stillborn. Okay. And, and as we've talked before, You've had some miscarriages. You've had some abortions. So um, these children are uh, going to the highest degree of the celestial kingdom to sit on a throne at the same stature, the same size, same height, everything, that the, in the same body that they left behind. Not one cubit added to their stature. That's right. So since we know that the celestial kingdom is filled with mostly, it's mm -hmm. going to be mostly filled with abortions, miscarriages, stillborns, and people who died before the age of eight. Mm -hmm. The Celestial Kingdom, uh, Al, how tall are you, by the way? Let me just ask you this first. How tall I'm are you? Five foot six. Okay. Hey, I'm five foot seven, and don't you forget it. Yeah, okay. we're, we're both shorties. <laughs> <laughs> In the great beyond, Al, we are going to, if we're there, we're going to come out on top on the height. We are going oh. to be giants. Well, that's a pleasant thought. <laughs> Good <Right>. for us. <laughs> yes. 
I like this. Uh, this is yeah. starting to shape up. I like the sound of this the more that I think about mm -hmm. it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> those children will never grow. So I think that Joseph Smith, um, everything that I said in here uh, conforms with what Joseph Smith said. He said there'll be thousands of children. Well, actually, there'll be millions. Mm -hmm. It'll be filled with all these little babies and these yeah. little toddlers and these little kids running on thrones. Mm -hmm. They will never grow up. And um, yeah, that's just an interesting uh, mental but, picture. Well, and yeah, he says they will never grow up. So they really will be perpetually in the same state uh, for eternity. So they will forever be children. They will forever be a zygote. They'll forever be a clump of, of sails. I let's I don't know let's not take it too far I don't know uh, that's maybe that's one of the great <laughs> mysteries maybe that's one of the great mysteries I'm not sure yeah uh, we we did talk about the Roe versus Wade last week with Greg from Quick Media who came on the program on shout out to Greg he does a great mm -hmm. job uh, yeah certainly um, CWIC Media does uh, he's like the greatest gospel doctrine teacher you've ever had he he's yeah. very smart he's very sharp he does a great job oh now, bril brilliant perspective on things. Yes. Um, now, he disagreed that God would be in favor of overturning Roe versus Wade because he yeah. said that human life is sacred. Therefore, abortion is wrong. Now, mm -hmm. I want to ask you, Al, um, is human life sacred in the scriptures? Um, well, script, scripturally speaking, <laughs> no, um, it comes and goes. I mean, the, the Lord has no problem wiping the face of the earth as he sees fit. I mean, the flood of Noah, he saved eight souls. That's it. Um, the, uh, you know, you know, going all the way back, even before then, even after then, you've got all kinds of different stories, uh, throughout the, the Bible, um, and the book of Mormon. I mean, shoot, the, the Lord sat there watching, um, with, was it Alma and Amulek while the, the yeah. Lamanites were murdering children and women? Yeah. And, yeah. yeah. Now remember, uh, you humans have been on this planet for 250,000 years and mm -hmm. apparently, God did not intervene. There was there was bloodshed. There was wars. There was rape. There was tortures. There was murders. And yeah. God only started intervening about I don't know six or seven thousand years ago. So for ninety three thousand years, He sat on His hands and did nothing. Mm -hmm. So um, yeah. you know, uh, while there's rape, tortures, murders, and tribal uh, lots of tribal warfare, didn't didn't lend a hand, yeah. didn't lend a finger to help the inhabitants of this planet. Yeah. Um, so. And if we look in the Bible, you know, uh, think about God commanded Abraham to kill his own si child. Uh, the, the Israelites wiped out the Canaanites. There's a genocide of the Amalekites. Yeah. Jesus in Third Nephi, he wiped everybody out before he came over and visited mm -hmm. in uh, Third Nephi chapter 9 and 10 with the earthquakes, oh, yeah. the volcanoes. You have mm -hmm. the Mo Law of Moses. Uh, you know, how many things can you do to be put to death in the Law of Moses? Uh, there's a lot. I don't know, oh, <laughs> I don't yeah. know how many there is. Well, and that—that that is the punishment for just about all of them. Is, yeah, put them to yeah. death. <laughs> yeah, and remember, Nephi killed the unarmed Laban. You have uh -huh. uh, God. God killed Job's presumably innocent family. I mean, what did That's they true. do? That's true. Yeah, his yeah, wife and kids. I, I yeah. don't know what they did. Uh, there's the burning of the untithed at Jesus' second coming. If you do not pay tithing mm -hmm. to the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, you will be burned. Yeah. I mean, I could go on and on, but the big the big coup de grace is that God actually killed himself on the cross. So the idea yeah. that mm -hmm. uh, that human life is sacred in the scriptures— Mm -hmm. um, it doesn't seem to me that the scriptures back that up. No, it seems like um, more realistically, human life is a renewable resource. And we can always make more. I mean, and we've discussed in this podcast that there's 270 billion souls ready to go. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I, I know it says thou shalt not kill, but that is, doesn't seem there seems to be so many exceptions uh, from that mm -hmm. from that law. Now, uh, yeah. Greg also said last week that uh, he he didn't he didn't like this uh, line of reasoning because he thought of the pain of abortion of the people mm -hmm. who are are, um, are committing abortions. Now mm -hmm. I, 
I'm not trying to make light of anyone or anything. Somebody who faces has to have an abortion uh, or chooses to have an Mm -hmm. abortion for any reason. I can't imagine having to bring a child into this world who's, I don't know, fetally deformed or if I was raped and, and, you know, um, you know, I was having to raise somebody else's child or or whatever Mm -hmm. reason. I I, I'm glad that I never have to face that. And Mm -hmm. I I don't want to mock anybody who um, has had that uh, made that choice or is facing making that choice. Yeah. Okay. But I do want to say that mostly the people committing these abortions are telestial. Sure. That's because most of the people on this earth are telestial people. That's not a put down. It's just a fact. Mm-hmm. So it's telestial people are, they will still be telestial people, whether they can commit a legal abortion or not. That's not going to change. Yeah. Well, how many of these uh, abortions were uh, products of uh, fornication or adultery? I mean, so they're, yeah, they're uh, from telestial type people and, you know, the choice to, uh, well, I, let's say elective abortion. I mean, certainly, you know. Yeah. Regardless of why they chose to have the abortion or the circumstances, most people yeah. on this planet are telestial people. So the only mm-hmm. thing that changes with the Supreme Court re- ruling is mm-hmm. where their unborn children are probably going to go in the next life. Yeah. Because their children, if they're born, will be telestial children for the most part. The Church of Jesus mm-hmm. Christ of Latter-day Saints, it's percent of global, uh, you know, it's, you know, it's losing ground with regards to the global population. The global uh, Earth's yeah. global population grew 1.8% last year. The Church mm-hmm. of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints only grew at 1.5. It's losing ground. Mm-hmm. So these people who are committing abortions, whether they can do so legal or not, if they're still going to be telestial people. It's only their offspring who will probably then, instead of going to the celestial kingdom, they will go to the telestial kingdom. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Now, Greg also said that fetuses and miscarriages, although they do go to the celestial kingdom, they'll be at a disadvantage in our next life. And I just want to ask our listeners, mm-hmm. uh, where is that in the scriptures or in church doctrine? I- I'm not familiar with it. Have you heard that before, Al? Um, he's got a, a good logical um, reasoning to back that up and that there's uh, certain lessons that we learn from living life in mortality that uh, you can't learn otherwise. So I uh, as far as backing it up scripturally, I can't. I, I don't. I mean, I don't think there's uh, an actual quote um, that I could give you that uh, that says this is doctrine. It is. It, it's an apologetic argument, I would say. Now, okay, for our listeners out there, if you know where we could find that information, please come on over to. Uh, yes, please we're on, do. We're on Twitter at at News Mormon. And we're also on Facebook and YouTube as well. Will you come over, drop us a line, let us know where we can find the information that says that if you were uh, if you were aborted or if you were stillborn, that you will have a disadvantage in the next life. Mm-hmm. I, I'm not familiar with that. And I just want to ask the question, how could that be fair? Okay, so you were in the pre-mortal life. Mm-hmm. You chose Jesus's plan. You did everything you were supposed to do. You came to this earth. It was a miscarriage, no fault of your own. You go to the great beyond and you're at some big disadvantage. How mm-hmm. is that fair? Uh, yeah, that's a, that's a tough question. Um, you know, fairness being that I guess our mortal existence and, you know, the trials that we go through in life are supposed to be catered specifically to us, but I don't know. It seems like you got a lot of disparity or disparity between where some people start out and the kinds of, uh, loads they have to carry versus others. Yes, and that's what I want to get into next. And I just say it doesn't seem very fair if you're aborted and through no fault of your own, you go into the great beyond and that you're at a big disadvantage. That does not seem to be fair. And I thought that the plan of salvation was supposed to be fair. 
Well, and keep in mind that these are uh, clumps of cells that will be sitting on thrones uh, throughout for the rest of eternity, um, not having one cubit added to their stature. Well, I just hope that I have one cubit added to my stature when I get to the great beyond. That's all I can say. That'd be nice. <laughs> <laughs> now, I just want to say, uh, you know, what would a fair plan of salvation look like? And Al, I'm actually a big video gamer. Uh, I guess yeah. I, I really don't get into this in this podcast, but my claim to fame is that in 1995, I played in the largest video game competition of all time. There's 250,000 people who played in this tournament from all oh, across wow. the globe, and mm-hmm. I ended up placing fifth. So I guess that's my claim to fame is that I'm Holy. a big I used to be a big video gamer. Wow, I'll say. Yeah. Now <laughs> I think about, well, I guess so. I guess so. Now, if you think about a fair plan of salvation, if both of I, uh, you and I were to go into a video arcade, we put in 25 cents and play Mario Brothers mm-hmm. on an arcade game. I play through, try to get a high score, and they get mm-hmm. a score at the end. Then, uh, you know, game over. Then you put yeah. in your quarter, you play the mm-hmm. game, and you get your score. We can compare the two against each other, and we can sure. see who the better gamer is. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And that's the problem with the current plan of salvation that we have is that there's, uh, you know, there's, I, I'm white, I'm male, mm-hmm. I'm heterosexual, I'm wealthy, I was born in the covenant, mm-hmm. etc. This plan of salvation, um, mm-hmm. the, the life circumstances that we all end up in, as you just said a moment ago, mm-hmm. um, they're not remotely equal. No, the uh, the starting point is different for every person. So, yeah, I mean, when you start with uh, Super Mario Brothers, you know that right at the very beginning, there's going to be a you know, that uh, little mushroom guy, the Koopa that you guy uh, jump on and then get your mushroom to grow up and all that stuff. But uh, that's the same for everybody. It's not like uh, you start off with a handicap that uh, there's a 10 second delay on your jump button. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Or, or you could think about role playing games. I play Dungeons mm-hmm. and Dragons as well. They, you know, some of these sure. role playing games, mm-hmm. you have what are called NPC characters in role playing games, and there's a yeah. small level of randomness. But everyone still has about 95% of the same experience with the same challenges and same tasks. Yeah, for sure. If I, if I were to design a plan of salvation, I would design it so that it would be fair for everyone mm-hmm. and that everyone would have the same type of challenges. But yeah. again, that's just how I would run things. I guess that's why I'm not mm-hmm. running things out. I guess not. Um, but I'll, I'll say the, the Olympics seem a lot more fair. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I just, you know, according to Satan in the uh, in the LDS endowment, this planet is very mm-hmm. typical of what has been done in other worlds. So yeah. this particular plan of salvation, the system that we've discussed mm-hmm. today, is yep. perpetrated. Apparently, according to Brigham Young, every father had a father, every god had a god, mm-hmm. and there's, and you know, um, Joseph Smith said, you know, he took the uh, ring off on his hand and he said it's one eternal round and it's all, you know, it's it's uh, eternity in all directions. And I just wonder, is this really the best way to test people with all of these automatic categories and all of this unfairness? This, this is the best system that can be designed. Uh, I'm, I'm starting to think that heavenly father was an aborted fetus. Well, at very likely as we discussed <laughs> last week, you know, yeah. mm-hmm. we discussed last week that the, the vast majority of people who are in heaven will mm-hmm. be, uh, as the, the automatic categories, the ratio is overwhelming 2000 to one, 5,000 to one. Yeah. And that very likely God was um, he was a stillborn. He was an abortion. He was mm-hmm. a miscarriage of some kind. Or maybe he was mentally handicapped. Yeah. Um, and that's just a likelihood just based on statistics. That's, you know, that's very reasonable to uh, look at the statistically speaking. It's far more likely that he is an aborted fetus than he's not. Absolutely. Now, uh, President Kimball, we're almost done with this uh, line of reasoning here. Okay. Uh, President Kimball, um, he, he explained that, quote, 
we made vows, solemn vows in the heavens before we came to this mortal life, end quote. And okay. this was a sentiment that's been echoed by a number of church leaders, including President Nelson in 2018. So I just I'm asking you this out since so many people have been aborted, miscarriage and stillborn or mentally handicapped mm -hmm. person. I mean, they can't keep a covenant. Right. I mean, yeah. why would all of these stillborns, miscarriages and abortions, mm -hmm. why would they need to make a premortal covenant to God mm -hmm. with God knowing that they would not be able to keep that covenant? Um, is this uh, maybe they were an exception? I, I don't I don't know. That's a. I guess that's an easy covenant to keep or, you know, an easy vow to keep. Like, okay, well, you know, I promise to be faithful. Well, um, we're just going to remove your responsibility to be faithful. Okay, well. <laughs> I, well. I also think about the application of my own life. How can I fulfill a promise of a covenant that I have no memory of making? That's a, that's another tough one. And I know that there's I, – I, I mean, I saw the movie What Happens in Vegas – um, so, <laughs> so that was kind of the theme behind that movie is, Hey, we, uh, we got super wasted last night. We went and got married. Now, now we need to get an annulment. And the, the judge is like, no, I'm sentencing you guys to six months of hard marriage. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so. It's just a tough test. To, uh, you know, I, I made promises and covenants to God before I came to this earth. I have no memory of them. How can I keep these promises when I have no memory of making them? That's not that's not the judge's problem. Oh, it's kind of like, like the uh, it's kind of like the terms of service. If you click agree right. at the bottom of it, then what is in the terms of service, whether you read it or not, you've got to abide by it. So true. How many of us have uh, have just clicked? Okay, yeah, I agreed to all the terms of service. And I mean, 99% of them are all just a copy and paste of the other 99%. But it's, yeah, it's still something that we all do it just because we don't have the time to sit and read. Well, I mean, I, I would like to see those people who click those terms of service, at least they have the option to read it. I, I apparently, True. I don't have the option of knowing what co exact covenants that I made with Heavenly Father. Mm -hmm. um, I can't review my signature on that. So it's pretty yeah. hard to live up to something that I don't mm -hmm. have a memory of. Exactly. Uh, maybe that's what patriarchal blessings are for. Maybe so. Now, but I, just, I, I don't know if you can ask a patriarch, hey, could you, you know, just see if you can determine what covenants I made beforehand? <laughs> well, I thought the patriarchal blessings are more forward-seeking. I don't think a lot of them talk about the pre-mortal yeah. life. I don't they, know. No, they, they, there's, you'll, you'll get things like, oh, you were a valiant spirit uh, in the pre-mortal life, and, you know, oh, our Heavenly Father reserved you for this time because of your you know, sort of thing. But yeah, you don't get a lot about, oh, you may, they may mention you made sacred covenants, but they won't say what those covenants were. Well, as we discussed, I don't think that um, a lot of people who are alive today are on the most valiant scale. A patriarchal blessing mm -hmm. that says you're the most valiant. How can that be true? Because the most valiant people are already in spirit paradise and they were already abortions and, and mm -hmm. miscarriages and they didn't even need to come here. So they must be the most valiant. So True. Uh, let, let me just summarize. Okay. Uh, most Latter-day Saints are rejoicing about the overthrow of Roe versus Wade, but yeah. they should be aggrieved. This ruling mm -hmm. must fill God with profound sadness. Why? It's because 300,000 less souls will return to him each year. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Now, I, I know that this difference isn't much compared to the fact that there's 50 million abortions on globally each year. But as Joseph Smith taught, quote, the worth of every soul is great in the size of God, end quote. Right, Al? Yeah, that's right. Okay. Now, um, that's 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 <laughs> summarizing from our last uh, week. Now, let's get into the news articles here, which um, this first one is on abortion. 
Now, uh, this is published by, and this is in our show notes here. This is by Jana Reese on June 29th, 2022. And it says, Mormons now look liberal on abortion by not changing it. So it says the GOP has swung so far to the right that Mormons' nuanced abortion stance, once commonly accepted by fellow conservatives, now looks liberal by comparison. You don't see a lot of news articles, Al, that says that Mormons are liberal. No, you don't. They're, they're um, so, pretty I mean, right wing. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, what is what is the difference between the standard GOP's position now and the church's position on abortion now? Um, it seems like the GOP took a hard shift to the right, uh, especially, you know, with this, um, the motion of the Supreme Court, that six to three motion. Um, so, you know, this, by comparison, it just makes the LDS church with its attitude of laissez-faire when it comes to abortion, do what you feel right about. It seems very left of that. Yeah, I mean, if you look at the laws that are being passed in Alabama, Arkansas, Florida, Kentucky, Louisiana, Missouri, Oklahoma, Ohio, you know, all of these other states, they're mm -hmm. basically saying that we're going to um, have extremely restrictive abortion laws where a lot of them don't even have any uh, exceptions for rape, incest, life of the mother, or even, um, you know, fetal viability. Mm-hmm. And that's a big difference from the church's uh, position. The church's position is that, you know, you can have an abortion if those for those reasons, if the life yeah. of the mother is in danger, if there's fetal anomalies, if there's uh, a rape or, or an incest. And uh, did I leave one off? I forgot what the last one was. Um, I, I think those are the, are the basic. Uh, yeah. The basic that, exceptions. That covers most of them. Yeah. So, I mean, the church is uh, because the GOP is swinging so far to the right. The church is now looking liberal. Utah is actually somewhat liberal among, you know, red-leaning states, mm -hmm. which I think is a real difference from uh, what we've seen in the past. And it Al, certainly is, yeah. Remember, mm -hmm. who do we have to thank most for this uh, Roe versus Wade ruling, Al? Senator Orrin Hatch. Thank you yeah. so much. The long-term senator from Utah who passed away last year. Now, wait a minute. Wait a minute. You say that Orrin Hatch is most responsible for this Roe versus Wade. We did discuss this in a previous episode. What is What is your rationale for that? Well, he was the one that opened up the Supreme Court to getting, uh, you know, a heavily right-wing side, and he was on the judicial uh, committee to uh, screen the the uh, the justices. So he's yeah. the one who hey, they're not. He's the head of the judicial committee. They're not going to hold a hearing for any judge without him. That's right. And they didn't. He he kept Mar Merrick Garland, uh, Obama. Remember Obama's yeah. mm -hmm. uh, Supreme Court nominee. He kept him out. Yes, he did. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, we can really thank all of the mess, all of this. Mm -hmm. uh, we can lay it really right at the feet of Orrin Hatch. Single-handedly. Yep. <laughs> pretty much. Pretty much. And as I've said, um, I don't think that God is in favor of what Orrin has done here because uh, I think that God's great joy is to bring souls unto him. And because of mm -hmm. Orrin Hatch, many fewer souls will be going to God. Yeah. Maybe Orrin will make out all right in the end if he paid enough tithing. <laughs> I don't know. Out, <laughs> <laughs> well, that's terrible. I know. I, terrible. I I should apologize to our uh, to our orange edge loving listener, whoever you may be. <laughs> All right. Uh, our yeah. next article, Al, can you run us through our next article? Yeah, so we're going to head over to the Rolling Stone. This one's a little bizarre, okay? And um this one is titled These Mormons Have Found a New Faith in magic mushrooms. And this is not entirely unrelated to Orrin Hatch. This still this deals in a former senator from the Utah legislature. Um, so not a not a not a federal senator, but a state senator. 
Um, the article's from June 28, 2022 by Cassidy Rosenblum. And uh, it talks about, let's see, uh, Steve Urquhart, who was, uh, he was a, a pretty big name around the legislature uh, back when we had um, Governor Herbert. Uh, yeah, I, I remember hearing his name a lot. Steve and his wife, uh, Sarah, have now formed this, um, this what would you call it? It's kind of an offshoot of the LDS Church, but it's, um, it's called the Divine Assembly. And what it really focuses on is getting magic mushrooms or psilocybin into its sacraments. So uh, it takes people on acid trips or, uh, you know, on psilocybin trips, you know, get some to try and connect with God through uh, the use of magic mushrooms, which, you know, to tie it back to, I've already tied it to politics. I'm going to tie this to Joseph Smith too. There was a lot of uh, mushrooms uh, growing around the, the forests around Joseph Smith's home, there is a lot of people that have that theory that Joseph Smith was under the influence of magic mushrooms during a lot of his um, revelations, and that was how he connected with God. Um, you well, know, where do I sign up for this divine assembly where I can, uh, you know, uh, get, uh, you know, yeah, magic but, mushrooms and uh, all that stuff? It's it's a, a kind of a cute little um, uh, gathering in uh, Salt Lake City, Utah. Um, this is not a place where they have a lot of, uh, members. They've got maybe two to 3000 at any given time. And they, you know, they, they say, well, you know, not everybody that leaves the LDS church is going to land here, but this is a safe place where they can land if they want to. So, uh, you know, this is, uh, this is a place where they're, they're welcome everybody. And, um, you know, they use these mind altering drugs and as a way to find the channel towards this, I, I believe they call it the sacred rather than the divine, uh, because they want to, you know, get away from, uh, the idea that there is like a, a celestial being that, uh, needs to be found, but more like a, a celestial entity that is this sacred idea or concept. And that's what they're looking for. I'm a little bit surprised that they have so many members. Uh, they've only been around for two years. Uh, mm -hmm. They have yes. two or 3,000 members. A little surprising, yeah. But, uh, you know, they've got some pretty not notable ones. Uh, someone by the last name of Bennett. Uh, he uh, is a descendant from uh, the um, um, the founders of Mormonism. They've got some, some pretty good uh, people. Like I said, you know, some of their most prominent were a former state, le uh, state senator from Utah. So... Uh, I guess yeah. we'll be uh, keeping our eye on what they call themselves the Divine Assembly. Yeah, the Divine Assembly. So look them up if you want to go take some mushrooms and some psychedelics with them. So. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, now, Al, our next article, uh, how's the drought going out there in Utah, by the way? Uh, not so good. Not so good, especially on the south end of the state. Uh, the Great Salt Lake is drying up. We considered doing an article about that last week. But uh, we'll delve into that a little bit better this week. It's uh, it's rough. We're we're real low on water out here. Oh, that that is too bad. Um, now John Oliver, uh, the famous comedian who does the uh, what does he do the weekly? Yeah, the no. show the uh, yeah the the what's it? I forget the name not of the week, show. So not weekly edition. What is it? It's uh, this week tonight. Yeah. Yes, this week tonight. Now he uh, mocked Utah. And it's a response for its drought coverage, and this has been making the round. So I'm going to try mm -hmm. to play the clip here. Got a 30 second yeah. clip of John Oliver on Utah's drought. Well, it's pointed. 
video from the governor of Utah in response to drought conditions there just last year. We need more rain, and we need it now. We need some divine intervention. That's why I'm asking Utahns of all faiths to join me in a weekend of prayer. Wow! You know Utah is desperate when they ask all faiths to join in a prayer. I'm asking Utahns of all faiths, whether that's the Mormon one or one of the many wrong ones, to... Okay, so did that come through pretty well? That came through pretty good. I want to clarify. He said at the end um, that the uh, the governor of Utah is asking uh, people of all faiths, whether that's the Mormon faiths or maybe one of the other several wrong ones, to pray for rain. Now, uh, so the governor asked for a day of prayer. Do you? Uh, what, what was that? Was that like a week ago, or I think it was a? Yeah, I think so. And it uh, yeah, it was about a week ago. And have you been seeing things improving at that time? Um, no, <laughs> it's uh, yeah, it's it. There hasn't been enough rain to, or well, I'll say, I, I, on the northern end of the state, they're doing pretty good. But when it comes to the southern end of the state, boy, there's a lot of bright red areas, and mm. uh, you know where the and, and those bright red areas. This comes from like a, what is it the National Geological. Uh, something or other but they measure the uh the rainfall and the snowpack and uh yeah the rest of most of the state i'd say a great 90 percent of it anything except for like the bear lake area is in severe drought conditions oh, severe drought. that is unfortunate but um, i do have the bright side for you here al is mm-hmm. that um uh, i think we've got the solution to solving utah's drought problem i hope so made, made it easy here by elder ballard Okay. okay. So, so it looks like the uh, the weekend of prayer um, didn't work. Um, mm-hmm. uh, even though maybe it was because you know probably those guys with the psychedelic mushrooms they were probably praying along too. Maybe we shouldn't have included them. I don't know. Yeah, maybe um, so. <laughs> I don't know. Um, it looks like that didn't work. But don't worry, I, I've got the solution for you. And it's here, Elder Ballard of the mm-hmm. uh, Church of Jesus Christ of Latter Day Saints, Quorum of the Twelve Apostles. He talks about how, um, quite frankly, how easy it is to solve a drought problem. So let me play this clip for you. In fact, Elder Ballard says he once prayed for rain in the middle of a drought. Let it rain. And before we left the temple, it was raining. In fact, Elder Ballard says... Wow. Did you catch that? Yep. So, um, Elder M. Russell Ballard, please go into the temple and, and once again ask the Lord, please let it rain. Because yeah. we need some rain. The salt, yeah. the Great Salt Lake is drying up. We're on the verge of annihilating this state because all those, as this Great Salt Lake uh, dries up, there's a lot of toxic chemicals that are going to start to fill the air. So get your um, pasty white butt into the temple, please, and get us some rain. Well, he seemed to make it sound like it was pretty easy. You you pray. You oh, use yeah. The you, you use the priesthood. Um, mm mm-hmm. And um, that literally right before before they even came out of the temple, it was already raining. I'm sure I'm sure that's exactly how he found his keys so he could drive over to the temple that morning, too. <laughs> well, 
Oh, man. That's what it, what it sounds like to me. Oh, boy. <laughs> oh, God. I'm going to uh, make hey, some friends this week. Yeah, you're making a lot of friends here. You're making a lot of friends, Al. Uh, it does remind me in the Old Testament in mm-hmm. 1 Kings chapter 17 of where we read, Thou mm-hmm. now Elijah the Tishbite, who was of the settlers of Gilead, said to Ahab, quote, As the Lord, the mm-hmm. God of Israel, lives before whom I stand, surely there shall ne- neither be dew nor rain these years except by my word, end quote. And you know mm-hmm. what? It came to pass that same way, Al. Sure Elisha, did. He mm-hmm. controlled the rain. Yeah, he did. Mm-hmm. Why uh, can't, can't why can't we do it again? We have the the the, the we have the same priesthood power. In fact, Elijah mm-hmm. himself came mm-hmm. to Joseph Smith to restore mm-hmm. priesthood power. Yeah, and you know this was a very flashy. Um, very showy um, use of the priesthood power because Elijah, the Tishbite, um, this is right before he does the whole, we're going to build two altars and you guys uh, pray to Baal and ask him to uh, set your uh, altar on fire. And I'll pray to the God of Israel and ask him to set the uh, altar on fire. And whoever's God answers first wins, right? I mean, this is a pretty famous uh, Bible story. And I you know, lo and behold, that's exactly what happened is that, you know, the priests of Baal were cutting their wrists, showing their determination, you know, begging Baal to come and uh, light their altar on fire. And Elijah, after he's done mocking them and sitting there laughing at them, uh, he sits down and says, okay, God of Israel, do your thing. And immediately fire comes down from the heavens, consumes the altar, consumes the water that's in the trench that they've dug around the altar, um, and consumes the priest of Baal, too. It was, uh, uh, yeah, once again, uh, sanctity of human life. Yeah, I just, uh, you know, we read about these stories in in the scriptures about Mm -hmm. prophets and their prophetic ability to do amazing and miraculous things Mm -hmm. when the time, when we really need them. Yeah. I mean, this isn't something about, oh, well, we, we shouldn't tempt God. This is what prophets have done all throughout the scriptures. We, yeah. It's not about tempting God. It's about showing his power. So do it. Yeah. It, it, it seemed to seem, he, Elder Ballard seemed to make it sound like it was pretty easy. He exactly. Just, and he, you know, he, he, he is a, a sustained prophet, here and revelator. So if it's that easy, do it. Yeah, you take the Quorum of the Twelve, you go into the temple, you say a mm-hmm. prayer, and before you come out, it's raining. So I call on yep. Elder Ballard to go ahead and fulfill what he said that he could do, mm-hmm. and let's uh, let's end this drought. Yeah, about dang time. Yeah, sure. Let's do it sooner rather than later. Um, mm-hmm. We've got three last articles to go through here, Al. Okay, and this one, I'm going to go pretty quick. Okay, so it comes from religionnews.com, how Mormons are sabotaging marriage and the family. Uh, this one... That's it. Sounds a little strange, doesn't it, to hear you know for as being family centered as uh, the LDS Church is, there it, it's kind of funny to hear a stark contrast saying, "Well, it's, they're destroying the family." This is anti-Mormon lies, Al. This is absolute. It has to be right. Yeah, it has to be anti-Mormon lies. Uh, this is by Jana Reese, June twenty fourth, twenty twenty two. And she talks about when she had a young missionary over, and this is something that has been going around uh, since they've been saying missionaries out, right? Is missionaries talking about, well, the harder you work on your mission, the prettier your wife will be, right? Did, did, you, did people tell that to you, Al, when you were a missionary? Oh, left and right, but usually it's tongue-in-cheek, right? I mean, missionaries, they'll say it, but 
you know, for the most part, it's like, oh, yeah, just kind of a, a joke thing. Like, yeah, you, if you work really hard on your mission, then you get a really hot wife. Um, and what this person's saying is that, well, all, all that does is objectify women. And, um, you know, by, it, you know, how would you feel if, uh, you're, if you were trying to get engaged to some young lady and she says, well, I was always promised that if I was very uh, valiant in young women's and got my young women of, uh, you know, what's the young women's medallion? Medallion, uh, yeah, young yeah. women's medallion. Yeah, if I got my young women's medallion and was very faithful, then I would have a very rich husband. But you work at McDonald's, so, you know, pass. <laughs> I mean, that, that, that's the equivalent, right? <laughs> well, all I, all I can say is I, first of all, worked extremely yeah. hard on my mission. Uh-huh. Very, very hard. I was definitely... You line up all the missionaries who are in my mission, um, like a thought experiment. You put them on. Mm-hmm. We had about a 200 missionaries. And I promise you I was in those top five without question. Mm-hmm. I worked very hard. And I'll, all I can tell you is my wife is pretty hot. So uh, it seemed to work. But is that, that just that, that, <laughs> that's uh, apparently that is sexist and uh, a patriarchal? Yeah, yeah it is. Um, but it's also it's it's just another one of those lines of reasoning kind of akin to the whole well women are so sacred that they don't and so holy they don't need the priesthood men need the priesthood in order to make them holy but this is just a way of gatekeeping and saying well you know we're gonna punch down on women uh you know it it, this is something that a lot of mormons had issue with with uh, under the banner of heaven that uh, Brenda Lafferty, you know, when she joined the Lafferty family, she went out and started clearing the field with uh, all the men and the boys, which that was man's work. And boy, that family looked real uh, sternly at her and said, we really don't approve of this women doing man's work. But, uh, you know, it, she was able-bodied. She was able, and she had a great time doing it. You know, just going, digging in doing some work. She wasn't afraid of getting her hands dirty. But that was kind of the whole thing is there's always been this divide and it's not uh, unique to Mormonism. This is more of an old school um, patriarchal way of thinking that, you know, man's work is out in the field. Women's work is in the kitchen. And, you know, so while the men are out clearing the field, the women are there making lemonade and sandwiches. So, you know, getting lunch going. But that sounds really good at this point, by the way. Quite sure (laughs) does. (laughs) Uh, Okay. Now, so there is a hot white trope among the male missionaries. Mm -hmm. And also this article points out that there is also a candy bar exercise for the Mm -hmm. young women's organizations. Uh, Yeah. Um, What what exactly is that? Let me go back to that. Okay. Okay. So, yeah, yeah, the the candy bar exercise. um, so let's see. Uh, here, let me read this to you. Upon yeah, entering, yeah, please do. <laughs> upon entering the room, each girl is given. This is a young women's activity for girls. OK, so upon entering the room, each girl is given a different kind of candy bar and each candy bar is supposed to represent a potential future husband and his qualities. For example, the Snickers guy is supposed to be avoided because his sense of humor tends towards the snarky and he makes sarcastic comments about the church. But when I first hear the, about the story, it's the one hundred thousand dollar bar that the young man was presented uh, that the young man was presented as a goal for which young women should aspire. So they're, they're trying to get the candy bar that is the most expensive and valuable. That's right. Yeah. I find, I found it. I lost my spot, my spot for a second there, but thank you very much for explaining that. It's yeah. So they do it on both sides. And what this does is it really sets up marriage uh, to start off on the wrong foot, that you're looking at the wrong things. You're looking at the wrong priorities and um, if you want to have a successful marriage and a successful family, then you need to ha- 
study things more along the lines of patience and tolerance, understanding, uh, forbearance, love, kindness. These are the sort of things that make for a, a happy marriage, not just, uh, you know, the symmetry of your wife's face or the hourglass shape of her figure um, or the, you know, size of the guy's, uh, you know, bank account. This is, uh, this is something that, you know, they, they should do a better job uh, setting success, marriage up for success rather than, you know, hanging on to these very basic tropes. <laughs> that uh, yeah, the, the really article, are not unique. <laughs> yeah, the article points out that what happens if the beautiful trophy wife gets old or fat, or, yeah, if, the exactly. handsome, or if the handsome return missionary loses his six-figure six salary or mm -hmm. his testimony of the church? That's right. Uh, will, the, will the marriage continue to grow or will it shrivel? Yeah, because that's something that isn't taken into account is that sometimes things happen in, in life that we don't have any, uh, you know, we don't have any preparation for uh just met a, a young couple this last weekend and uh the the husband um he had a stroke a few years ago and it really could have impacted their marriage but boy uh, they had such a loving relationship between them and his wife was just committed to uh, uh there was a lot of commitment there she loved him right through it and he because of her love he was very motivated to go through the rehab to get his uh physical therapy going he walked out of the hospital when they thought maybe he will never walk again uh he had to relearn everything and he did relearn everything and you know wow. i couldn't even tell that the guy had had a stroke but that's the kind of things that you need to prepare for in marriage is how are you going to weather the storms? Yeah. yeah. Good point. Okay. And, and that takes us to our final article. Let me just summarize this final article real quick, Al, before yeah, we get your ahead. thoughts here. And that's, um, this is the Hulu's Mormon No More miniseries. And we're going to review mm -hmm. episode two. And this was put out on uh, June 24, 2022 from redcarpettv.com. Mm -hmm. And the title of the article is now streaming Mormon No More Hulu original doc series about Mormons and their Mormon LGBTQ allies and their relationship with the church. Now, let me summarize the article real quick. Yeah, so ahead. in uh, episode two, Sally's ex-husband uh, initiates a meet Shane initiates mm -hmm. a meetup for the first time in over two years and how Lena's former mission president reacted when she came out to him. And then finally, moms and allies co-opt a Mormon symbol to support in support of LGBTQ people. So there's three parts of the series. So what did you think about the meetup um, from Sally's ex-husband, Shane? Al? You know, the it was uh, it was kind of designed to be awkward. Uh, Sally, it looks like she's you know trying to you know, do her best to, to get along, but she's also the one that kind of initiates a lot of the awkwardness. And, uh, you know, that, that bothered me. Um, cause I, I really think that Shane is trying his best to, to figure it out, but it's a difficult thing for him too. All right. He didn't ask for a divorce. Um, she ended up, uh, they, they tell their story about how, uh, he started questioning the LDS church and looking into its past and doctrines. And she, as a result, he ended up bringing her with him into that rabbit hole, uh, as they call it, um, and finding their way out of the church. So he, he left the church before she did, but she was just, you know, right there with him. And then that's when, uh, you know, she decided to break up their marriage and go after uh, her new, uh, her friend Lena. And uh, that's, that's how we came to this is there, there was just this really, uh, I mean, he, that, that was another thing is like, okay, he, he made a choice to, you know, make a change and he couldn't choose what the 
consequences would be. Uh, but one of the consequences was that his wife uh, came out as, as a lesbian, left him, and uh, took their kids to live with her girlfriend. And uh, that's where that's where we're at in uh, episode two. So I mean, yeah, epi- episode two. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, episode two. The subtitle is "On a Mission." I get the rest of my life to live the truth. Now, Lena, uh, she mm-hmm. went on a mission. She was a missionary, and she went to Italy on her mission. And during the episode, she uh, calls her former Mormon mission president and came out to him on the phone. How did that go? Okay, so. This one was really awkward to watch because it's a conversation that, you know, is going to be difficult. And, you know, we know we can see that she's nervous to have that conversation. And there's, you know, the person on the other end of the phone, he has no preparation for this. He doesn't know what's going on. So we don't we don't get to hear his voice and what he says. We just get to have a summary from uh, Sally, actually. Cause she's sitting there holding her ear close to the phone so that she can hear it. And, uh, she, Lena comes out to her mission president and he says, yeah, I've heard that, uh, your marriage, uh, ended and that you've left your husband for someone else. And she says, well, uh, I'm not married yet, but, uh, you know, I am engaged to her and we will be getting married soon. So she makes a point of, you know, saying that, yes, it is uh, a girl that I'm engaged to. And, uh, she said, well, you know, what kind of relationship can I expect to have from you going forward? I feel like she really put him on the spot. And then she was disappointed because he he wasn't um, going to change the way that he believed or wasn't going to change to accommodate her. It just seemed like, well, you know, if this is the choice that you're making, which, you know, it is a choice that, that she made. And this is this is something that, you know, really rubs me raw on this is that. This is about uh, choices. I mean, for, for as much as they're saying, well, you know, I, I didn't choose to fall in love and be a lesbian. That, that's fair. But you did choose to follow that. And you did choose to come out to your mission president who, you know, still is very entrenched in the LDS teachings and doctrines. What, what, what do you expect him to do? I, I think they, there's a lot of expectations from Sally and Lena for the rest of the world to accommodate them. But I don't see them reciprocating that. And that, that's one of the things that really bothers me in this series. Interesting. That, yeah. That I don't see a lot of that, that being reciprocated, but I, I do think that this scene, this uh, episode was a lot better than the first one. Um, and once again, for the other stories that were out there. Now, um, I'll, I did not have any, anywhere near the type of relationship with my mission president than apparently that no. <laughs> uh, Lena had with her more mission president. I'm, I, I didn't tell him when I got married. I didn't tell him when I had kids. I didn't tell no. him any of my life decisions or anything like that. Yeah. Um, I mean, is that something that you share with your mission president and some of your life milestones? Ne- neither of them. I had two mission presidents. Of, uh, you know, they split halfway through all well, they, uh, you know, changed mission presidents halfway through my mission. And so I had one year under one mission president and one year under the other mission president. I haven't talked to either of them in probably a good 20 years. You know, it's just, it's not really, we don't walk in the same circles. We, you know, I did see one of my mission presidents shortly after. So I know that there's, there's missionaries out there that do keep in touch with their mission presidents and they'll talk to them from time to time. Uh, my dad was a mission president. He has his uh, former missionaries that they'll still you know, still good friends with probably a good handful of them, but I don't see him, especially with the sisters 
having a lot of these long phone conversations where, you know, uh, they're looking to him for fatherly guidance. And that's what uh, Lena describes him as, as kind of a father figure to her that, you know, uh, really helped her through a lot of difficult times. Um, I'm not sure if it's difficult times just on the mission or difficult times post-mission, but uh, she she threw a, a curveball at him and she was surprised when he towed the line that he's always towed. So I mean, I, I, I you know, I don't think very many missionaries yeah. that I'm that I'm familiar with or that, you know, that I hang out with or talk mm-hmm. to really keep that careful, you know, no. keep in touch with their old mission presidents. No, so, I mean. <laughs> I, I just I guess it might be a different relationship than she had with her mission president, because I, I don't seek my mission president's validation for anything. And I never did. No, you know, he was uh, he was the manager of the mission. I, you know, mm-hmm. I reported to God. Yeah. I didn't report to my mission president. It was about mm-hmm. when I when I had my exit interview with my mission president, I didn't ask him, well, how do you think I did? I don't care. how he felt about my mission because my mission Mm -hmm. was about me and my relationship with God had virtually Mm -hmm. nothing to do with him. He was just there as a placeholder. Yeah, exactly. So I guess some people need that kind of validation. Right. I I I can't relate. I can't relate. I I cannot relate to that at all. I don't need any validation from my mission president. Never have. Mm -hmm. So I guess that's the difference. So, sorry, Lena, we're just not, we come from a different place than you do on this one. Um, it just seemed to, to me that you're, especially when you're talking about a church representative, a mission president is definitely a church representative. A compensated church yeah, representative. Yeah, for sure. So uh, even though he may not be on the payroll anymore after his mission um, is over, it, he's still, you know, that's up to him where he's at with uh, his spiritual journey. And she just kind of dropped a bomb on him and expected him to just fall all over her and say, Oh yeah, I still love you. I still respect you. You know, no matter you know, what. And, and it, sorry, mission presidents don't have a requirement to love you unconditionally. They're not your parents. They're yeah. representative for the church. Yeah. And that takes us to the last third of the, uh, the episode, which was with mm-hmm. lighting the why uh, Al, what yeah. is the why and uh, what is it? Okay, so the iconic Y is, they call it Y Mountain. There's a big concrete uh, white uh, rock covered, uh, you know, in the shape of the letter Y uh, on the uh, mountain above Brigham Young University. Um, You know, I guess the Y is for Young, (laughs) for for Brigham or Brigham Young. And um, so a lot of times they'll light up the Y for different occasions, like, you know, for homecoming, for graduation, uh, the the college will go up there and, and light it, light up the Y itself. Um, the property is owned by uh, BYU, at least, you know, the, where the Y is. The uh, trail is on uh, BLM land, so it's, uh, you know, public land to get up to the Y, which is about 1.1 mile hike straight up the hill. It's, boy, it's, a, it's kind of a brutal hike. <laughs> you, you hear these people after they've made the hike, and they're all huffing yeah. and puffing. It's, yeah. it, it takes a little bit, about an mm-hmm. hour to get up there. Um, so the, this, uh, group of people called, um, color the campus have decided to, they're going to show support for the LGBTQ community by hiking up the Y and taking a bunch of, uh, colored spotlights to change the Y into a rainbow and also into, uh, the trans flag, which is the pink, blue, and white. Um, so they, yeah, um, BYU's not have not having it. They, uh, they saw the first one 
And at that point, they went and blocked off access to the Y so that people couldn't actually get uh, to the, the actual Y up on the mountain. It's 300 and some odd feet tall, this thing. So it's, it's real big. But they got 40 people together and they hiked the Y. The BYU police were standing there, um, which BYU police, they're not official um, city police. They're university cops. So they do have some jurisdiction, but not a lot. They work more uh, hand in hand with Provo police and they do work very closely with Provo police. So they get Provo police up there to get them off the Y. Yeah. So what did you think about the segment? You know, I thought that the I thought the representative from BYU was very respectful and tactful in the way that he approached it. Um, and, you know, for, for them being, uh, you know, determined to go through with something that they knew was illegal. And these people, they they knew that they were uh, facing the possibility of a thousand dollar fine, some jail time. Uh, and a, a criminal record. I mean, that's that's what was going to happen. And they decided that this was worth it. So they went ahead with it. And the BYU representative said, you know, I want to respectfully ask you to, to leave because this is not a place for uh, demonstrations. And we don't want this kind of activity going up here. And they had planned on doing a half an hour of the trans flag colors and then a half hour of the rainbow flag colors. Um, but they ended up, I think, doing 15 minutes of each. So there, there was a compromise. And, uh, yeah, no, I but, mean, I, yeah. I, I, obviously I read in the papers about the lighting of the Y, but I had no idea that there was a camera crew that was following them for their entire journey. And it seemed mm-hmm. like they built the suspense for this segment really well. Oh, they really did. They played it out very well. And, you know, it helped me to understand the purpose behind that and the uh, logistics behind it. It took a lot of organizing. Yeah. Uh, this this young man that headed up the organization, he's an, an openly gay BYU student, mm-hmm. um, and uh, his parents uh, support him um, in you know his lifestyle. Also, they it's a little strange to me that uh, you've got these uh, students that you know signed the honor code, and then expect the the university to change to accommodate them. You know for. Well, I think it's great to to be yourself, but you gotta understand what you're getting yourself into, and if that if you can't abide by the honor code any longer, don't expect the university to change to accommodate you. Uh, you need to go find a different university that will accommodate you. I, I hear what you're saying. The only the only qual the qualm that I have with that, and again, yeah. I, I taught at BYU for a long time. The only qualm that I have with that is some people don't realize their sexual orientation until later on in life. That's true. You know, so that, it, yeah. if you're a student and you're in your third year, you didn't realize that you're mm-hmm. gay. You didn't realize that you're, um, you know, transgender or whatever it is until mm-hmm. your third year. That becomes much more of a different predicament than yeah. I think that somebody who, you know, I, I, I honestly, I, I don't want to sound bigoted. But if you already mm-hmm. know that you're gay, mm-hmm. um, let's just be real honest. BYU is not the best school for you to attend. True. It, it just it just isn't. There's a lot of schools out there where you will have a much better experience. Yeah, exactly. You know, I, th- I think that's what you're tr- what you're saying. That, that That is exactly what I'm saying. You know, and for those that have uh, discovered their sexuality later on, um, like you say, into their third, third or fourth year there. Yeah, you, you can be uh, locked into it, but then it's a matter of choice. Uh, you know, how out how important it is to you to be out and open about that. Versus how important it is to you to finish your degree, to, you know, finish 
your program and you're going to have to make some choices there. You know, you, there's a lot to do with commitment and it seems like commitment really gets uh, thrown out the window with this Mormon No More series. Um, and that's that's the issue that I have is that if you're committed to going to BYU, then you're going to have to put your authentic lifestyle on hold. And it's, you know, that, that, that sounds cruel, but it's just kind of, it's, it's the way that, that you are. I mean, you've made a commitment to a university that you're not going to engage in homosexual activity. Well, if you find out that you're a homosexual, then you're going to have to make the, the choice not to engage in homosexual activity for until you graduate. And then, you know, uh, wave your flag all you want after you've graduated. It's not, you know, that's, that's your time to shine. But, you know, it, it certainly could come with academic uh, repercussions if you decide that, well, I'm going to be a student and I'm going to be openly sexual. Yeah. I don't know. It, it, it just this this episode really shines a light mm. on how difficult it is to try to uh, navigate yeah. that path. It, it certainly is. And, you know, I, I don't want to disparage the LGBTQ community that way. I just felt like that kind of needed to be to be said um, with regards to to these choices that these people are making. And, you know, I, I'd, I support people in being their authentic selves and living their authentic life. It's just, I, I see a lot of wanting, especially with Lena and her mission president, she wants to eat her cake, but then still have it too. And yeah. I, I don't think you can do both. I guess a lot of these people are just trying to, they want to reform the institution, yeah. whether it's the church or BYU. Uh -huh. And they're trying to, um, you know, they're trying to, you know, as we've discussed in previous podcasts, change often occurs when people, uh, you know, don't just bury themselves and want to um, shine a light on what they feel is an injustice. And yeah. I think that's what they're trying to do. Exactly. And I, I think it's coming naturally because the more people that uh, come out, then they have an influence on their uh, groups around them and their circles that they move in. So then all of a sudden people become more resistant to, um, to bullying the uh, people that are different from them or picking on the LGBTQ community because they, they know somebody who's LGBTQ, somebody that they care about, you know, whether it's a brother or sister, you know, we, uh, we talked about some different things and uh, statistics with that. But this is something that, you know, it impacts everybody. And so as it, as it does impact everybody, it changes minds, one mind at a time. And we've seen the, the tide turning with this, where you have much more support for the LGBTQ community. So, you know, it, it is going the direction uh, that's positive. But uh, I, I just, you know, but, uh, the, I think we need to also understand that not everybody is the same and you know not everybody needs to i i, I guess that's kind of the, the underlying theme is yeah we're not all the same so let's accept everybody where they're at and some of those people where they're at is where that mission president's at firmly entrenched in his religion and uh, stuck in his own beliefs and it's far better to accept and respect him where he's at than to try and force him to change because sooner or later he'll come around. He'll figure it out. 
Okay, for our listeners out there, we're on Patreon. If you made it this far, we want to thank you so much for uh, being yeah. uh, with us. Uh, you know, uh, drop us a like, drop us a subscription, leave us a comment. Head over to Patreon if you want to hear more of these episodes. We would love to make them for you. And I want to thank my co-host, Al, for ruminating on the Great and Spacious Beehive with me. Always a pleasure. Thank you very much, Steve Ace. And thank you to Weird Alma, who's uh, done our intro and outro music. Um, look up his, uh, he's on Bandcamp. He's, uh, let's see, his uh, album is titled Straight Outta Titles with Straight Outta in the title. And he's got some excellent songs there. When it comes to nicknames of the church, such as LDS Church, Mormon Church, to remove the Lord's name from the Lord's church is a major victory for Satan. 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 Please allow me to introduce myself. I'm a being with no moral constraints. My number one goal is to hurt the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints.